This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up. Oi! From my friends. The star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi! This Oi! is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. From my friends, 77 WABC. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun. Now the jingle hopper has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time. You know, Curtis, when I envision you today, this is exactly what I expect you in your mind to be singing as you're prancing around New York City. Do you have the Jingle Bell Rock on your mind every single moment of the day? No. No, not Jingle Bell Rock. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which I'll talk about momentarily as we substitute for Sid Rosenberg. Mm -hmm. Originally, we were going to be joined by John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator. He's going to take uh, the day off. He's convalescing like so many people are, like my wife Nancy and others, from something that's just going around, flu, virus, pneumonia, whatever you want to call it. Boy, it's just stopping people in their tracks. But you were able to make it, and I was able to make it. And uh, Diego, uh, I look at Diego and I say, man... What the hell is he doing here? <laughs> what 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 about Diego? What's wrong with Diego right well, now? How, normally, about, how about a Merry Christmas? How normally, about just Merry uh, Christmas, I don't Diego? Because, uh, you know, right away he's going to want to play, what is that, uh, Feliz Navidad, right? Uh, <laughs> immediately I see Diego. And I have uh, flashbacks of... It's um, very festive, by the way. Uh, what? Feliz Navidad? Yeah, I always want to dance whenever I hear Feliz Navidad. You don't want to dance when you're Feliz Navidad? No, no, not really. I, I think of my husband-in-law, uh, uh, David Patterson. Ah, very nice. Because obviously the, the guy who's singing this is is blind and David Patterson is blind. <laughs> and they could be doing a duo. <laughs> so it puts me in a foul mood. Feliz Navidad. Huh? You know, speaking of blind, I heard in Australia they actually interrupted a blind group that was singing Christmas carols. The pro-Hamas terrorist protesters yeah. were out there interrupting them over there. They were spending uh, all their day throughout the tri-state area yesterday driving around from place to place, just interfering with anybody that was uh, involved in any kind of traditional Christmas caroling. They did it in Washington Square Park. Uh, they almost had a riot there because of that. And you say to yourself, really? Uh, how are you How are you gaining uh, any uh, followers or people who are going to be sympathetic or empathetic to you when you're uh, attacking a group of people who are Christmas caroling? And if you're in Washington Square Park and you're Christmas caroling, I guarantee you you're not conservative. You are very liberal and progressive to begin with. You're probably a Unitarian, uh, you know, you're a liberational theologist from the Roman Catholic Church. You are not conservative being in Washington Square Park. Yeah, and I, Curtis, I live by Washington Square Park, a couple blocks west of Washington Square Park, before I moved down to the White House. And actually, after I came back up for about a year, and I got to tell you, 
I saw firsthand just how much Washington Square Park devolved. When I first started move, living down there, probably around 2014, my wife had a little studio down there. So we moved in as we uh, as we were getting closer and as I was courting her and as it was apparent that we were going to become a family. Um, and, and I love the neighborhood because it was so it felt very old New York, right? You have the, the building limits on there. So and you still have the old Italian markets in there. But you could also see how the neighborhood was starting to turn under de Blasio. And Washington Square Park was a perfect example of that. What happened, actually, I think it was really around the 2020 protest, but a little bit before then, the 2020 riots, the uh, George Floyd ones, was the northwest part of the park. Beautiful, beautiful park in the middle and the center of New York City was actually bike racked off. So that's why the drug users could actually utilize the northwest area of that park and telling other residents, hey, you know, use the other three quarters of the park, but don't go into this part of the park because this is where users are actually openly using. But you're absolutely right. When you look at the fact that it's right next to NYU there, when you look at the fact that it is an extremely leftist area of New York City, the fact that they would go into Washington Square Park and protest in a place where it's apparent these people generally, they're not going to be out there voting for Trump. They're not the people that are saying, hey, look, we are pro-Israel and all this stuff. You need to exterminate Gaza like I am or exterminate Hamas like I'm out there saying. So the fact that they're actually protesting there against them, they're not making any friends. Exactly. But uh, let's uh, turn it back to the day, this being Christmas. Yes. So many people who are so dependent on us, um, Andrew, that I found out over 35 years of doing talk radio at all different levels, at all different times of the day and night, and the dependency that people have to listen to the most intimate form of communication that has ever been created uh, through this thing that we call radio. Some would say it's Marconi who invented it. That's what I say. Others would say it's the Serbian Tesla And what it does is it provides so much comfort and relief to people who on what to Andy Williams sang is the most wonderful day of the year, Christmas and everything attached to Christmas, pre-Christmas, post-Christmas, leading up to New Year's. It is uh, at times the most devastating of the year because of the loneliness that people really sense because everybody else is either away or with their family and friends. They seem to be having a good time. And here you are, you're home alone. It's not quite like the movie Home Alone, but you're home alone. And oftentimes the only contact you have with the rest of the world is through radio. Now, for a lot of radio stations, they're playing best of, which is really worst of, or they're just playing like Christmas music or they have Christmas-themed prepackaged programs. We don't do that ever since John and Margot Katsimatidis rescued us from uh, death. We really were. We were in the death rattle because our previous owner, you talk about Christmas, uh, was the Grinch that stole Christmas. That was Cumulus, the second largest owner of radio stations in the nation, had made a decision that they didn't want to be in the number one market in America, New York City. They were just going to remove whatever presence, whatever foot uh, footprint they had. So they got rid of their country station, Nash. Then they got rid of the most iconic call letters in FM radio, WPLJ. Went dark. We were next up. We were like in that final scene of Braveheart when Mel Gibson is going to be impaled, you know, by the executioner. I love Braveheart, too. I love, I love Braveheart. Right, yeah, but he, he's going to be impaled. Yeah. 
And then that's when John and Margot came along with the, the, our parent company now, Red Apple Media, scooped us up and began the slow process of putting us all back together again to the point now where the number one uh, radio station by day around the country and the number one at night when the sun goes down, you can hear us in every part of the world except for Antarctica. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> well, you know, we're just waiting on the penguins here to ultimately get the transistor radios that they need in order to tune in. But, Curtis, you're absolutely right when you think about how this time of year, and, and we talked about this before we went on to see just how many people around the world are lonely. And this isn't just, you know, maybe people who are older who might be kind of more senior citizens who might have had other family that have passed on and now are a little bit more lonely at this point. But this is even people of my generation and younger because the phone, in many ways, it's actually keeping them apart. And what the beautiful thing about radio and now being a part of the family for a year has actually shown me is that it really brings people together. It's a conscious decision to let us into your room, to your to your house, uh, as you're getting ready for work on a holiday, for example. Uh, to be able to do that is really a wonderful thing. And, and I go back also to the story of Christ's birth. When you think about it, aside from Jesus and Mary, the first people to find out that unto you the Savior is born were shepherds. And at that time... The shepherds had to have a very, very lonely life, and it was probably a life that was pretty low on the totem pole in terms of the social index. They weren't the uh, the lawyers and the uh, and the financial advisors of the day, so to speak. You probably didn't have many prospects. Pretty lonely existence. So to find out that that hope then existed, um, it's something that I kind of harp back to as we talk about the loneliness in this day and age. Well, let's go back to uh, when you were little uh, Andrew Giuliani and obviously growing up in a very famous household. Yes. Uh, where the eyes uh, sometimes of the world were upon you, but especially locally. Uh, what was Christmas like? I mean, how did uh, your mom and dad uh, and your relatives uh, prepare you for the tradition of Christmas in the Giuliani household. Yeah, well, I remember ever since I was young, first off, I always – let's go to the day of Christmas first off. I, I remember my mom would always kind of be revving us up that morning as soon as we would wake up. You know, we'd go into bed and, you know, we'd say, um, Mom, that, is Santa, is Santa come? Is Santa come? And she said, I don't know. I don't know if Santa's because so she's always kind of playing with us, trying to do that. And my father, as he was kind of getting the video camera ready in the uh, in the uh, living room, she would kind of be holding us back and saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. If so. Well, can we find out? Can we find out if Santa's come? Not yet. Not yet. Your father's setting up the video camera. Like, well, well, we know Santa came if he's setting up the video camera. He's not going to set up a video camera of us crying over coal over there. Um, so I always remember that. But I also remember in Gracie Mansion how it really was – an entire season of celebration because you'd have people from all different areas of city life come in and there would be Christmas parties and holiday parties, uh, menorah lightings. Uh, I remember for the staff of City Hall, there'd be a big party for the staff at Gracie Mansion. There'd always be a, a wonderful party. Um, and, and it was just a, an amazing time of year to be able to see just how many people's lives um, I felt like that uh, not just my father, who was in the limelight every single minute of every single day, but also my mother, who was as first lady, really had, you know, important roles in, in making sure that the city knew that uh, that people really cared about, her, especially at a time when the city was starting to come back, when optimism was starting to increase and was starting to rise. Uh, so it's always been one of my favorite days. 
Uh, and uh, it's one of these things that as a new father to my daughter, uh, I'm trying to figure out how do I instill this upon my daughter. You know, I always remember, too, the night before going to midnight mass and being prepared for that. We'd always have uh, family. We'd always have family over at Gracie Mansion. We used to go out to Flushing before we we lived in Gracie Mansion for Christmas Eve. And then we decided to host at Gracie Mansion, and we would have, you know, 50 family members, 75 family members, it felt like, come on over for Christmas. We never actually practiced the seven fishes, which is one of the, we wouldn't eat well, meat, but you you actually did practice Yeah, well, the now, seven fishes. Uh, your father's family, and he'll join us later on this morning. Yes. Came from uh, northern Italy, right? Yes. From uh, we, we had, the Giuliani's came from Montecatini, which is outside of Florence, and the Devanzo side, which is my grandmother's side, came from outside of Naples, Avellino. All right. So, but uh, let's look at that part of the family that came from up near Florence. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, north of Rome, yeah. they did not practice uh, the night of the seven fishes. Right. That's really more of a southern Italian tradition. Sicily, for sure. Uh, Bari, where my grandparents came from on my mother's side, Francesca's side. Uh, Calabria, Naples, that general area. And uh, the tradition is pretty ingrained. It's sort of like it becomes really a two-day event, the meat day and the no-meat day. So the no-meat day (laughs) begins on Christmas Eve because with Christmas Eve, you're having all different kinds of fish dishes. At least it's made available to you. Then the very next day, after a few hours, uh, you go to church, and then you sit down, and there's the traditional 10-course Italian meal. Starts out with the brodo and the tortellini, and then the brajo. That's your first real piece of meat. And what a lot of people don't realize, I would tell uh, Italians, is that that second course, the brajo, uh, Italians eat more horse meat than anyone else in the world. Brajo is horse meat? Yep, horse really? meat for the most part. Okay. But... Um, in Italy, they eat more horse meat. Argentina, where there are a lot of Italians, they eat more horse meat. Uh, Kathy Hochul just signed legislation that bans uh, the use of uh, slaughtering uh, horses and then selling their meat any longer in New York State. But that was a tradition. And, and then naturally, you go through all the other courses. But it always started with the Knights of the uh, Seven Fishes. And my favorite fish was the one that grossed most people out. That was anchovies. Really? Oh, I loved anchovies. (laughs) When did you fall in love with anchovies? As a little kid, you fell in love with anchovies? Well, because, remember, my uh, grandparents on my mother's side were from Bari, a little town, Andre, on the Adriatic Sea. Right. They would have a lot of fish normally. They didn't need a night of seven fishes. And one of those were anchovies. And so I got involved in competitive eating. I won quite a few championships And the way I would gross out my fellow competitors, many of them that were bigger than me, they could easily eat more than me, depending on what the contest was, hot dogs, pickles, pizza, cannolis, is I would open up a canister of anchovies (laughs) and walk up and down in front of them eating anchovies to start with. And about half the competitors would be completely grossed out. <laughs> I don't know what it is about some people with anchovies. They get really grossed out. Yeah. They don't want to eat anything more. It almost makes them ill. Yeah. So you have the anchovies, and for a large portion of people, they don't want to even be near anchovies. So you have, uh, obviously, the bacala. Uh, you could have a lot of shellfish or what Jews would call trafe. Right. But the whole idea is to have the seven uh, fishes. And in, on the Polish side of my family, 
uh, they would also have uh, a uh, midnight meal before Christmas itself. There's a lot of similarities, Polish, Roman Catholic, Italian, Roman Catholic, except they'd have carp. So they'd have carp. Again, no kielbasa, no meat. You know, they'd have the pierogies. Right. They'd have, like, mushroom soup. Not as They wouldn't have extensive uh, a menu as the Italians mm-hmm. would. But it was all part and part of the yeah. tradition. Uh, the only time I went to Midnight Mass is when I was a kid. I was a choir boy at St. Matthew's uh, Catholic Elementary School run by the Josephite nuns, the Irish nuns. Um, on Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue. So I'd be up there uh, right next to the uh, uh, organ mm-hmm. where uh, there would be like uh, 30 of us all dressed in red, uh, and we'd be the choir. Were you singing, Curtis? Absolutely. You can you can belt the tune? Well, I did up until my cousin Butchie's uh, wedding in Howard Beach. It's always a cousin Butchie. My Aunt Mary said, hey, we'd like you to sing solo Ave Maria <laughs> up near the pipe organs. You know, you had the organist, who was myself, his butchie coming down uh, with his wife. You know, they're going to take the vows. I'm singing Ave Maria. Halfway through, my voice cracks. And I never sang after that again. <laughs> that was it. You were done. I'll tell you, Curtis, you get along with my wife because of the anchovies right there. She loves anchovies. And by the way, Poland and Lithuania, they're brothers, they're sisters. They're right next to each other right there. So it's something about those, I don't know, those saltine fishes, as I like to call them, that they love. But anyway, Curtis... It is an honor to be on with you, even if you are maybe the Grinch on Christmas. Oh, there's no doubt. Sid. There's no doubt. And obviously, when we come back, substituting for Sid Rosenberg, who's away this week, we got to talk about uh, the whole concept of Santa Claus. You went through it. You described it briefly, uh, your anticipation. Right. What do you do for your child? And obviously, with so much more information available to children now who are burying their heads in their own iPhones, how do you keep that tradition alive? Right here on your place to be, it's live and local radio, WABC. We know there are a lot of you. You don't have family and friends on a day like today where it seems everybody is having the time of their life. Just know you have a home of your own right here on 77 AM WABC where you have Live programming almost the entirety of the day. In fact, uh, Andrew, I'll be back 12 noon with my wife who recovered from about a flu. Uh, I'm glad she's feeling better. Virus, whatever you call it, uh, because we do our traditional uh, family hour on Christmas. And then I come back in the afternoon, fortified with Anthony Weiner, before we begin the process all over again uh, tomorrow morning. Same time, same place. It's the holiday season on 77 WABC, New York. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Wow, a lot of 
images in this song about Christmas. Andrew Giuliani in the house, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. And uh, the whole tradition of Christmas, you touched on it, what it was like when you were living in Gracie Mansion uh, with your mother, Donna Hanover, your sister, and obviously the mayor, uh, Rudy Giuliani, who will join us later on. But uh, now that you have your own family, what is it? You have the artificial uh, tree, which no, is becoming no, no, more no. and more popular. No, no, no. Or do you go old school? No, nah, we go old school. You know, I can't tell you. I'm not the arborist, so I can't tell you if it's like a, a balsam fir or whatever the other names of the potential Christmas trees are. I'm sure you could name more than just well, well, balsam fir. Well, the Fraser fir. The Fraser. The, the Norway Fraser. spruce. Wow, the Douglas fir. Look at this, Curtis. You are an arborist then. Well, you know, having had dogs when I was a kid, right? right. Along with cats. Yeah. Uh, but the dog would always be, uh, you had to worry about the dog lifting its leg, assuming that that tree that was now in the <laughs> middle of your living room that was anchored, you know, in that, uh, what can we call it? Uh, it's it like a, a, a green thing that would, that would kind of, uh, you know, uh, octagon out, if you will. Right. And, right? and you not only had octagon. to have it balanced, but you had to have screws, <laughs> put screws in yeah. the base of the tree because then it would lean one way or the other. <laughs> you had to have water there so the wood wouldn't get too dry. And you had to put in a one St. Joseph's baby aspirin. And I would say, why? Uh, why, Dad? Does the uh, tree have a headache? He said, no, it keeps the tree moist, and the tree will stay longer in this pod-like device with a St. Joseph's baby aspirin. Really? A St. Joseph's baby? This is news to me. Well, I didn't know that you throw an aspirin well, to I the tree, you, and, and it keeps it moist. Uh, for my mother, my mother loved me. Remember, I was the only boy in the family, so I was a little Italian prince. Say, yes. I could do no wrong. I would go to the nearby cemetery, Canossi Cemetery, a block away, the only secular cemetery in the city, owned by the city at that time in New York. And on Tuesday nights, they would take all the flowers that had been left at the gravesite and toss them in the back right. to prepare for a new week. And I'd scoop those flowers up on Tuesday. <laughs> I'd wrap them in paper. And then I'd put them in a vase, give them to my mother, and then put St. Joseph's baby aspirin in there to preserve the flowers and she would go, oh, what a great son you are. What a great one you are. She never, ever knew that I had snatched those flowers off gravesites. And by the way, people look at me like, oh, how horrible. They were going to throw those flowers out anyway. It explains why you're such a romantic and been married so many times. You kept on finding flowers all over the place. Oh, no, you got to so find great. a new lady to do that. It to, was you know? so great, I got to tell you. But the tradition of the tree. Now, a lot of people don't realize this. Right. Generally, when you grow Christmas trees on farms, there are Christmas tree mm -hmm. farms, it only grows a foot a year. Right. You have a seven-foot tree. Like seven years. Yeah, or a little math. more. A little more because you got to get the initial tree from a nearby nursery and then plant it. you got to maintain it. It's not an easy thing to do. So a lot of people have reverted now to actually not going out to the corner and trying to buy a tree at an exorbitant price. They'll go 90 minutes from uh, where we're broadcasting in Jersey and cut their own tree. Yeah, I did this a couple years ago, actually. I think it was right when my wife was basically about to give birth. I want to say it was – we did it. We put the tree up the year that my daughter was born before Thanksgiving. It's the only time that we've done it before Thanksgiving because we were expecting her birth 
like right around Thanksgiving. We knew it was going to be that weekend after. That's at least when the due date was. It could have been earlier. So we decided the weekend before Thanksgiving to put our Christmas tree up. So then that way we weren't worried about finding a Christmas tree while our daughter was a couple of days old. And we actually decided that year to go up, I think it was around the Poughkeepsie area, but in Dutchess County somewhere, to actually cut down a tree. And I have to tell you, Curtis, it was one of the most fun things that I did. I posted this video on social media. Probably got some of the most follows of any video that I post. Maybe I'll repost it now, as a matter of fact, at Andrew H. Giuliani on my social media. But it was a blast to actually go and do that. And you're right. It was a lot more reasonable. Now, I probably played double for the Christmas tree in terms of what I paid for gas coming back and forth and with the so tolls and all that. Straight. And that's before congestion urban pricing. Urban boy, urban boy, Andrew Giuliani. Sea <laughs> boy. Paul Bunyan. You were like Paul Bunyan going up to the Mid-Hudson Valley. Absolutely. You have your little axe in your hand. I, you know what? They give you a, uh, they actually give you like a chainsaw, believe it or not, to actually chop the thing off over there. But yeah, I was totally but think city of it. boy think coming of it. up there. You, you got like a seven-foot tree yep all of those trees that they grow together probably took about 10 years to grow yeah. from seedling to when you are actually putting on on the top of your car and driving it home to your family now once you got it there once you anchored it what were the decorations that you threw up on the tree uh so my wife is is the decorative one in this family and she uh she ends up, and, and she's very particular about the lights, right? She wants to make sure, like I grew up with color kind of big bulb lights, the big bulb lights. Not only that, but if one bulb didn't work in the string, <laughs> it'd be the whole string it. was no good. It was it was no good. Now, the, I think the, the bulbs now, if you lose a light, it's okay. It's a little different. But now we go with the smaller bulbs. Actually, I kind of like. It does look a little bit nicer, and uh, they still are color. But then we end up having, you know, what? and this is one of the things that I love. We have ornaments from all the different things of our past. We obviously have a lot of first baby ornaments from 2021 when my daughter was born. I have an ornament each year from the White House. We've got some ornaments from Gracie Mansion. I think probably, I think we have an ornament from like the first ornament that I've decorated probably in pre-kindergarten where I was scribbling who knows what I was scribbling on there. So it's nice because you look around the Christmas tree and you see all the things that are important to your family, all the things that really Christmas should be about. And I know we just talked about in the last segment about, you know, how lonely a time it can be for people. Uh, but, you know, f when you're blessed to be able to have that, it's one of the things that, I, right, that so, I love. So uh, you're raised in a Catholic family with a Catholic tradition. Yes. You had the manger there underneath mm -hmm. the, uh, the don't, tree. Don't put Christ in till today. That's don't right. Put Christ until That's right. Today. Little baby Jesus doesn't go in until Santa Claus arrives, yeah. right? <laughs> and I think now that's what one was of the more important things. about the holiday: the birth of uh, Christ or Santa Claus arriving? Well, you know, when you're little, of course, it's Santa Claus. But that's one of the things that I've started to talk to Grace about. You know, Grace just turned two, so she's you know she's not understanding this just yet. And she's actually a little bit scared of Santa Claus. We've tried to take her a couple of different times this Christmas season to go see Santa Claus. And it's the funny, it's, it's sad, but it's the funniest thing. As we get closer to Santa Claus, she's interested in seeing Santa Claus from a distance because she's looking. Who's this fat guy in a, with a beard and a big red coat over here? But you know what? I think we got to talk more about Santa Claus and how this really is the season of Jesus' birth. As we get back oh, here, Curtis, let's tease this second. as we yeah, get yeah. back. Yeah, what about uh, you're going to see Santa at the mall? Santa's half in the bag. He's got real rum rouge. He Actually, doesn't the have Santa to... we saw might have been half in the bag, as exactly. a matter of fact. Uh, he might have been. 
You didn't even have to put on Rum Rouge uh, to the uh, Santa because he had Rum Rouge from drinking. And how many of them turned out to be perms? Look, if you live in the North Pole, you, you got to have a little scotch God, over there. It's cold hey, up there. Hey, it's little cold, kid, Curtis. come sit on my knee. I'm not sitting on your knee, man. You look like, man, if I would uh, light a match right now, we'd all be blown to kingdom come. No wonder why you got cold there, Slee. Well, hey, look, Curtis. Up for the rest of Christmas here from 6 to 10 o'clock. It's you, it's me, Curtis Sliwa, Andrew Giuliani, coming back with you, filling in for Sid Rosenberg here on WABC. You talk, we listen. 77 WABC. Oi! This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. God, I hate Paul McCartney. I don't like this song. With a passion. I, I don't like this song. I got to tell you. It's yeah, not well, my favorite. Why are we picking this song, Diego? Huh? Yeah, Diego, you were, I was on your side over here, but now you're starting to lose uh, what social credit. to the old traditions? Paul no, McCartney, oh, please. What, heck, what are you actually going to have? Ringo Starr? Come on. God, you should take that Santa Claus hat you're wearing and wrap it around your neck and pull it from both sides. Curtis, you know, you know my wife actually was dancing with Paul McCartney a few years ago. We're in the Caribbean, right? We're enjoying it. It's around New Year's time or something like that. And Paul, Mc- a couple people are out on the dance floor right there. And I've kind of got my back turned. And my wife, all of a sudden, starts dancing a little bit with Paul McCartney. There was room for the Holy Ghost. Don't worry about it. It wasn't too close. I was keeping a close eye on it right there. But uh, I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, she's got other prospects. So now, i got to be careful. Now, be speaking careful. Uh, how you go full circle. Yes. It doesn't get any bigger than to be Paul McCartney. Yeah. John Lennon got the Beatles in super trouble when he was giving an interview when he was alive before he was uh, assassinated in the streets outside of the Dakota on 72nd mm-hmm. uh, off Central Park West. He said the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. Mm. And uh, immediately nope. there were cancellations. Uh, uh, there were uh, stations that wouldn't play the Beatles. That lasted uh, a little bit, but then it was all back on track. But you had, obviously, you had Paul McCartney, you had John Lennon. John Lennon became a fixture in New York City because of where he lived. He'd walk around. He loved talk radio. He listened to that time, the number one uh, talk radio station, WMCA, which was one of the last family-owned operations, R. Peter Strauss. It's very similar to how the Katzmatidis family now Runs WABC, WLIR through Red Apple Media. Mm-hmm. In fact, he became famous years later when he gave up ownership of the station. He uh, he was the uh, father of uh, Monica Lewinsky, stepfather. Really? And he was asked the question, well, you continue to support Bill Clinton. You're a big Democratic supporter. You know, he took advantage of your uh, your daughter there when she was an intern. And he had this to say. That Bill Clinton is one of the best supporters as president that we ever have in the state of Israel. I forgive him for his really? sins. Really? He would that's say that about said. the state of Israel? That's right. That's amazing. Well, remember. When you think of it, he was sitting with Arafat over there remember, trying to broker this, this uh, two-state solution deal. The, the Mossad knew that Clinton was fooling around with Lewinsky 
because they were tapping the phone in the White House when he'd be talking to her at 3, 4 in the morning while Hillary was just catching a few Zs. They knew it before anybody else. But so this big, huge talk station, WMCA, that some of us grew up with, that's where the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, was. So the most amazing thing is John Lennon would listen, and he hated Bob Grant because Bob Grant conservative. He's, he, a big, he's like a communist, right? Lennon was like a communist. John right? Lennon would be out there with the uh, pro-Hamas yeah. people now. Okay. Yeah, he was a radical. So he would listen, and then he'd walk over to the old WABC, knock on the door, <laughs> because there was no security then. This pre nine eleven. Uh Hey, uh, you think I could come on with the uh, host? You know who the board operator at that time at WMCA was? Who? Jimmy Walker, Dynamite, right. who went on to have the top a sitcom, you know, of Norman Lear at that yeah. time. Uh, about a family growing up in the projects, good time in Chicago, went on to become a talk show host himself, and it was Alex Bennett who was the host who was to the far, far left. And John Lennon would just walk in <laughs> off the street and be on and talk radio. Yapping. Yeah. I mean, That's that, amazing. Oh, that was so great. And then, obviously, after his uh, execution in the streets, mm-hmm. life really changed in the city. You you would walk around, especially during Christmas time, New Year's, you would see Mickey Mantle half in the bag. Yeah. You know, going into his restaurant, Gin Mill, <laughs> up there in Central Park South. You'd see Joe Namath. You'd see Walt Clyde Frazier. And people would be walking around by themselves. But that moment in the early 80s when John Lennon was killed outside of the that changed everything. Yeah. That really did. Because you really couldn't get any bigger. But in terms of Paul McCartney, he's lived out in the Hamptons for years. Mm-hmm. I saw him one time. He was on a bicycle. He was going down a path. And it was like this purple haze over him. He was like doing puff, puff, pass. <laughs> that but sounds about right, yeah. We know that Nassau County executive is Bruce Blakeman. Mm-hmm. Bruce Blakeman was married to Paul McCartney's wife. Really? Before Paul met her, and then obviously they're married now. Get out of here. Yes. Her father was a big owner of trucks, you know, big trucking firms. She was appointed to the MDA, the MTA board, money-taking agency board. Never showed up for any of the meetings. Finally, they removed her from the board. I guess she broke up with Bruce Blakeman at that time. Next stop, Paul McCartney. I mean, I'm a I'm a Bruce Blakeman fan over here, but I mean, I guess I, I don't know. She moving up here with Paul McCartney? I don't know. I, I mean, mean so not politically, she's even not. Though, but I right, say. even though we associate the Beatles, obviously Liverpool, England, the UK. The fact is, is that there's so much of that history right here in the New York area yeah. with Paul McCartney being out in Long Island and then obviously John Lennon uh, being killed right outside of Dakota. It's tough even to imagine for somebody that's my generation just what New York was like back then. You know, I remember specifically the night the Yankees, and, and this kind of felt like an old New York night from the way they talked about it. The night the Yankees won the World Series in 1996, I remember going out with my father that night, and we were trying to chase down the World Series trophy, where it was. And we were hearing rumors that Reggie Jackson had it somewhere on the Upper West Side. Oh, then you ain't getting it back. That. You ain't getting it back if Reggie has it. Oh, my God. I think Reggie paraded around maybe, the city. Maybe. And now, I had a, the opportunity in my lifetime to meet Willie Mays, yeah. who lived up in Riverdale. Yeah. You know, my, you know, my father represented Willie Mays, yeah. actually, in a bunch of cases. Mickey Mantle. Yep. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, Reggie Jackson. Right. Uh, at, I went to the grand opening of Mariano's restaurant in, I think it was New Rochelle, yeah. that area. These three guys 
were the biggest jerks that I had ever met in my life. <laughs> Even Willie Mays, because Willie Mays, every time I talked to Willie Mays, was a, a fantastic guy. Yeah, yeah, that's because your I, father was his lawyer. I, that's that, pro- right. that probably is why. But These really. guys would walk around like the world owed them something. Yeah. Vicky Mann, who was my hero. By the way, your dad tells a great story. When I visited him one time, I saw number eight, you know, in a frame, Yogi Berra. I said, weren't you a Mickey Mantle fan like me? He goes, I was until he yeah. wouldn't sign an autograph, exactly and that was right. it. Uh, Yogi was my guy. He was waiting as by the entrance to Yankee Stadium there. And, you know, he lived in Brooklyn. He wouldn't go too often to Yankee Stadium. a big fan, listen on the transistor radios, and obviously would follow every single game. But, you know, maybe he'd get to one or two games, maybe three or four games a year or something like that. So he's there early before they're about to come into the stadium for batting practice, and he was a big Mickey Mantle fan. He's waiting by the entrance with his you know, little book to have hope Mickey Mantle actually signs it for him. And Mickey Mantle, with all the kids right there, the kids are asking, Mickey, would you sign it for me? And Mickey kind of just like pushed the kids aside and walked on in right there. And Yogi comes, don't worry about it, son. I'll sign it for you. And it was my dad's book that he signed for him, Yogi Berra. And that's why he's number eight. And by the way, it shows you some of the greatest players of all time. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, we saw him uh, uh, who just broke his hip at a concert, Bill Russell, Mickey Mantle. It doesn't get bigger than these guys. They would refuse to sign autographs. I saw that myself in Seattle. A family came up to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They couldn't even pronounce his name, but they loved him. He was a Milwaukee <laughs> Buck at that time. They were in town playing uh, the Seattle team, and the mother said, Oh, my children, they watch you. K- Kareem, right, Kareem? <laughs> he goes, yes, yes, yes. Could you sign their autograph? No, I don't sign autographs. I mean, that family was crestfallen. Well, now we've got at least the last couple Yankee superstars have been pretty good. Aaron Judge, Derek Jeter, yeah, can you, sign your Can stuff. you get to on the old Yankee Stadium? You remember they had to That's walk true. from the parking lot yeah. to their entrance. Now, now it's all secured they drive off. right into the bowels of the new Yankee Stadium, which is more like a shopping mall. Anybody, as we reminisce... It may be some Christmas. It may be some other things. Let's face it. There was Santa Claus. There was Mickey Mantle baseball. And then, of course, the most important thing of all was, did you get coal? And did you get wood in your stocking? Curtis, stuffer? I feel like you got coal a whole bunch of times. Oh, kid. I feel quite like a few you got times. a lot of coal. Quite a few times as we substitute for Sid Rosenberg. It's Andrew Giuliani, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. Some point this week, uh, we'll be joined by John Katsimatidis. Get better, John. Who's not feeling well, like my wife Nancy was slowly recovering. A lot of people out there who are bedridden. Just know you have a friend of your own where people may have sort of scattered to the wind in this holiday season. We haven't gone anywhere. It's live and local programming 24-7-365 right here at WABC. Is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Wham. Wait a second. There was that bathroom, that public lavatory there in Beverly Hills, in which he was, um, oh man, come on. How, how do you, uh, Diego, this does not conjure up. A Christmassy feel for me. Well, I, I actually like this song, but Curtis, you're telling me about something in a Beverly Hills restroom, and I'm ignorant to this. Tell me more. What Did you happened? ever see the video of when he was dressed in a police uniform with the uh, uh, what they've taken away from the cops now that I used to get many wooden shampoos from? 
you know, the uh, baton. The old batons. Exactly. Come on. So was anyway. he playing with his baton? No. Is that what like, you're telling I'll, me? I'll, hey, look, it's Christmas. Yeah, I don't want to get into this triple X rated <laughs> scenario. Okay, okay. But we'll it's a great tomorrow. song. Wham, that was a great song. Diego, you're getting close. But you haven't really gotten back to the traditional songs of my generation. You're dealing now with Mr. Hipster Millennial Andrew Giuliani's generation right. and your Hip- generation. See, yeah. like all of a sudden we're old fogies here. That's where uh, that's what a lot of people would call me on the uh, uh, on the gubernatorial trail that I was a hipster. Exactly, that's right, hipster, hipster a millennial. Yes. But by the way, uh, <laughs> we got to salute Germany. Germany created Christmas. We would not have Christmas if not for the pagans in Germany many centuries ago, who actually created the tree, the tradition of Christmas. Nobody wants to acknowledge that because we say, oh, that's a religious holiday. Well, it was culturally appropriated to become the religious holiday. Sorry, it wasn't created as such. Hey, enlighten me, Curtis. So you're telling me that Christmas originally started before Christ, obviously. Not before Christ, but before Christ was involved in the actual holiday. Yeah. As a pagan holiday? Tell me more. Well, there was always a debate as to when Christ was birthed. Mm-hmm. And like all things in the church... You're not permitted to ask too many questions. You see, unlike you, Andrew, you were a little more compliant with church tradition. <laughs> I was the rebel. Right. So I'm growing up in the 60s. I got my Catholic catechism. And naturally, I'm beginning to learn the traditions. And I was taught at a very early age. And for babies who die without being baptized, there is a place for them, a special place that they go called limbo. No relationship to Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> then all of a sudden, no more limbo. I say, hey, well, whatever happened What to happened limbo? to the babies? Well, you, you asked too many questions, Curtis. Well, they must go to heaven, right? Mm, you know, got to be baptized in order to go into heaven. What? Where are they now? Are they in purgatory? Not quite sure. I know they're not in hell, right? No. <laughs> they just rebranded limbo? Is that what it was? Or we just don't know where they, they go anymore? They eliminated it. They, that's it. And then you were told. I, I remember hearing about limbo. I didn't I didn't realize that they actually well, eliminated you're this in, in limbo. Teachings. That's where the term came. You're in limbo. Yeah. See, you haven't yet landed on your feet. You're in the limbo. Right. So that's where that whole term came from. So here it is. I kept bothering priests and nuns like I was nattering. Uh, sister, Sister Ruth, whatever happened in limbo? You ask too many questions, Curtis. Just <laughs> accept the fact that the babies are being well taken care of. Are they in heaven? Well, I can't necessarily make that leap. <laughs> well, uh, what do you mean, Sister Ruth? The sisters were always nicer in explaining it to me. The priests were always like... Please, I'm pretentious. Uh, you know, I am. I'm the priest or the monsignore who was in charge of the parish. I don't have time to be answering your questions. <laughs> Once you go over to the convent and ask the nuns, which you know me, I always would. I never to this day, I will be 70 on March 26th of next year, 2024. Nobody has ever told me, not the cardinal who said midnight mass last night, not anybody else. Whatever happened to limbo? And I'm not talking Rush Limbaugh. I, I'm going to do a little dig over the over the uh, commercial break Please over do. here about Limbo because 
I want to know. I really still thought limbo was a thing. I didn't even. Re- I'm just learning right now that it's not, and it hasn't been replaced by purgatory. They don't go to purgatory for a well, very quick opportunity. These, that's, these that's, little babies that's to question. go into heaven. They should have Andrew, ultimately front of the line of purgatory think, right, right there immediately. Front you would of the line, think they'd be in the heaven. front of the line. We also have to speak about the concept that there's no room in the inn. The whole story of the seven yes. days that it took Mary and Joseph to get to Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus, and how time and time again that's equated to the migrant issue today. And as I say to them, they ain't staying out in the barn. There's no sheep around them or pigs or deer or anything else. And by the way, one of the three kings going to come and pay for all these migrants who are staying here on our taxpayers' dime. You see, it's the Grinch that stole Christmas here, Curtis Lewa, and Mr. Santa Claus himself, who <laughs> loves this holiday, Andrew Giuliani, and to all of you, you got a friend of your own. If you're on your own, don't worry about it. Just keep listening to WABC.